Well, hello, everybody. We are back again for another stunning, amazing episode of Beyond Sunday. I'm here again with both Christian and Spencer. I'm stoked to be together with these guys. As you know, like our whole heart, as we say it over and over again, is to take the amazing truths of God's Word, those ideals by which we look at and we grow from and they guide and direct us into who God's called us to be. But we all three believe that the greatest way to work out just this, the realities of God's Word are in and through His a local church and in and through a relationships. specific local church. A specific yeah, local church, not just church, anyone. Yeah, but for yeah. us, it, this really is. It's about Cornerstone. We're not trying to do a podcast for the rest of the world. We're, we want to do a podcast that really helps those that are yeah, part so of Cornerstone. Ryan, Breland, turn this off. Yeah, right or anybody else that's not. But we love you, Ryan. Totally, you too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll let them hang around. They're friends. Oh, yes, okay. they're okay. friends. They're, they're our periphery. But we really are excited. We've been working through uh, the book of First Thessalonians at this point, kind of together. But what we wanted to start to do is deviate a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna still stick to First Thessalonians a little bit today, but we wanted to use it as a launching pad to talk through something that I think the church has not had enough discussion through, which is just the areas of not only sexuality, but sexual brokenness. Yeah. So I'm really excited to begin to kind of press down that. We're going we're gonna to take more than just today. We're at least going to have another two conversations in which we're going to also include, um, make sure that women are a part of this discussion, because I think without having women part of this discussion, it would be an absolutely incomplete mm-hmm. discussion on, 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 yeah. on, I would on sexuality. Just, I, before you even jump into that, I would say... Even the conversations the churches have been having haven't necessarily been helpful mm-hmm. or accurate. I mean, it's like in the conversation of brokenness, one, we're not having enough of the conversations, and the conversations we are having might not even be helpful mm-hmm. or beneficial. Yeah, it, well, I think like we've just, I think there's a side of it, and I think this is why it's so important to talk about it, is that off of our last week's discussion, we talked about oftentimes we framed it from what we're trying to stay away from. Yeah. And the way I heard one guy explain it one time, he said, man, we, we go to a cooking class. And when we get to that cooking class, we're, we're talking about the amazing, wonderful realities of food and what it tastes like and how to prepare it. And so you're all excited to get going. And the only thing that the guy teaching the class about is, hey, we need to stay away from food poisoning. Well, man, there is so much more to this discussion of, of sexuality than just what we stay away from. Yeah. And so that's really where we're excited. We're not obviously going to be able to get to the the end of it. It's uh, I think Robin read the book. What was the book called? Oh dear. Oh come on. <laughs> um, what you always wanted to know about sex, but were afraid to ask. Oh yeah, what you always wanted to know. I thought it was everything. 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 Oh, everything. Yeah, everything was in there. So this is not an everything it was, discussion. Uh, hopefully it's out of print. <laughs> yeah, it was written back in the 1500s when she was in high school. No, oh my gosh. no, okay. no, no, no. We just need to start okay. over. Yeah, but anyway, all to say, we're we're excited to do this. So, but today, what we're going to try to do uh, as we start to launch off into again having uh, single people in here talking about all kinds of different issues um, is we want to give it a, a place to start from. And so we use First Thessalonians four one through eight as mm-hmm. the place to start from. And so, Christian, I'm going to, since you since you were the one that taught on this, both Spencer and I are going to kind of throw it over into your court and maybe talk about not only why is this, why is this important, especially from a, a biblical perspective, but also maybe help us understand, like, why do we need to take this journey? Like, why do we need to go down this path of, of wrestling in and through sexuality, sexual brokenness, and things like that? I think the reason why this is an essential topic for all of us to wrestle with is that we already do wrestle with it. 
Um, I think every culture does. I think the scripture, this is a, it is a prevalent theme. I think sexuality is not the most important aspect of our humanity, but it is an ever present aspect of who we are. Um, it's, it's from beginning to end, part of what God designed us to do as people and even the means of bringing more generations into existence. Like, like this is central and, and because it's so, it, it is such an important part of who we are as humans, the way in which our brokenness, the way in which the distortion of sin plays out on this, it, it affects every person in every culture. And it's one of those things, again, whether you're living in Africa, you're living in Asia, you're living in North America, South America, whether you're living in the 1500s or whether you're living way earlier than that, like from the moment that Adam and Eve ate that fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, we've all been twisted and we've all expressed that twistedness in different ways. And so this is one of those ones that is, we've, we've all got to wrestle with, not just because of the ways we get it wrong, but because of the goodness, the holiness that God intended for it. And I think that was the part that really stuck out to me in, in first Thessalonians four, verse four, when he says that each of us need to learn to control our own bodies in holiness and honor. There's the, there's the really good news in this whole thing. God intends our sexuality to be a way to make his holy character, his honorable reputation known. But part of the thing that makes this a rustle for us is that we also see that that part of what makes sex holy is that it is meant to be set apart from public life. It is one of those things that if we're doing it right— it's not going to be visible to others around us. You know, it's what I mean? only going to be put on display to one other person. Yeah, and there, but there is something there about the intimacy of that one flesh relationship between one man and one woman. That there is a a glory and a holiness in that that they only get to share with each other. Well, with the Lord, because they're, the actually, Lord. Exactly. they're actually putting God on. There's putting an aspect of God on display. Yeah. that is really going to encourage each other yeah. and honor God. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what's interesting, part of the reason why. Why we have to be careful talking about this is because of all the ways that we even are still wrestling with twistedness and brokenness in this area. Um, it's because of the, the, the hyperactive way in which our culture wants to talk about it, though it seeps into the way that we think about it as well. But I think because it's one of those things that as we live out holiness in our sexuality, there's going to be a privacy to it between a man and woman in marriage. There's going to be a privacy of a single person stewarding their, their, their sexuality and holiness on their own. The action has to be private, but the the conversation, the way in which we help each other think through this and especially um, rightly contradict the different stories about sexuality that are floating out in the, in the world around us. Um, but I think sometimes that's where it's tough because the way we play it out has to be private. So we sure as heck better be able to talk about it together. So, so I, I love where you're going in this one, but if you could just take... Um, 30 seconds to a minute and tie it into the greater context of like chapter four, where we kind of started with the conversation in and around holiness, because I, I hear echoes of it, yeah. but I think, I think it's an illustration of the conversation we've had previously, but if you can just kind of kind of tie it all together for me. Absolutely. If you didn't get to listen to the, the previous episode where we spent the whole time talking about holiness, I encourage you to do that as well, but just a short version of it. To be set apart, made distinct, made distinct by God, which is what holiness means, to be set apart, 
is not just to be separate from those around us, but to now live in a relationship with God in which we reflect and we represent him to those around us. We saw that in this passage from the way that Paul starts in verse one of chapter four, where he says, you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God. And then in verse 12, where he says, so this is how, so that you might walk properly before outsiders, represent God to those around us. And we talked about how that word walk refers to like, not just literally the way we move our feet, but, but the conduct of our lives. And so this does shape, our holiness shapes the way that we both now live with our focus upon God and with that outward focus of how do we make his honorable character known to him, known to those around us. And I think that, again, the wrinkle is this one's one that we ought to be carrying out properly, privately, but you sure as heck see the public effects of it when we right. get it wrong. No, for sure. And this is where I go. I, I, I love that because you go, as we're trying to frame out why this conversation matters of going... If we understand that one way that we actually walk in holiness is actually in the way we conduct ourselves sexually and express our sexuality, that that actually is accomplishing what God has for us. Yeah. We can do that well, or we can do that poorly. Yeah. And I think that's why this conversation matters. Absolutely. So great. So, okay. So we... That was a very good definitive statement you brought to bear there, Spencer. Mm, I appreciate good that. Good call back there. <laughs> so let's do this then. Let's uh, let's look at the ideal, especially out of this text, and kind of again use it as this way to launch it out. And that's that's what I want to I want to do here. Just just next. Okay, so we kind of set the stage, like why this is so important, why we need to have this discussion. So maybe from from. First Thessalonians four. Why don't you give us give us a little bit of a running start? Kind of help us understand the the ideal of what Paul has in mind here. Because I I love where you're going and how you're framing this out. Well, I guess not you. I love where Paul's going. Yeah, you're you you're go. bringing it out. It was, but maybe yeah, give us give us a little bit of an understanding, a greater kind of place for us to start from as we kind of think through sexuality. Yeah, we talked last time about how there in in verse three when Paul says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your your ongoing growth process of becoming holy. And then he, again, he. this applies to all of our lives, but he drops into one specific aspect of our lives there in verse 3, where he says that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then he continues in verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. And my computer just went to sleep as I was reading it, which is perfect. There we go. Um, and then he continues in verse six, and he says that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this manner because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand. So he gives those three kind of uh, instructions. When he, when he says that God's will is our sanctification in regard to our sexuality, he gives us three like kind of bullet pointed instructions of what it looks like to grow, to pursue holiness in our sexuality. The, the, the first and the third one are negative. The middle one's the positive. And we talked about that last time, that when we think about holiness, it's both what we need to be separate from, but also what we mean, need to move towards. What we, what's the positive that we, that we are supposed to do? And so the negative one that he says there is that we abstain from sexual immorality. And I, I talked on, in my message about how that word sexual immorality, porneia, is this big blanket term that's used in scripture basically to refer to all types of sexual sin, basically all expressions of human sexuality out of like loving others focused sex between one man and one woman in marriage. Outside of that, it's, it's all this porneia that Paul says you're supposed to, you are in now called to be separate from that. And then he says in verse four, the positive, 
know how to control your body in holiness and honor. Not just not just abstain, not just cut this off, but like know how to channel your sexual desires, even your bodily impulses in a way that keep with God's good design for sexuality, that, that, that treat it as the holy thing that it is, and that even in your actions now you convey the honorable character of God. And then he comes back and he says in verse six, and again, to remind us of the negative, that you, no one transgress or wrong his brother or sister, his, his fellow believer in this matter. He, he, he talks about this in such um, corporate ways and then in such personal ways. He says, y'all need to abstain from sexual immorality in verse three. In verse four, each one of you know how to control his body. And then verse six, that not one of you wrong is brother or sister in this. So there's the way in which our individual actions, the way that each of us learn that spirit-empowered self-control shapes the way that we collectively as a group of people convey God's character in in the, as weird as it sounds, the sexual culture of holiness that we develop between each other. Right. There's, there's something else in there too, though, at the end of verse five, yeah. which is the contrast. It's almost like the Romans 12 reality or the, um, even the beginning of first Thessalonians of going, don't do this like the world. Yes. You, you, you've got to, you've got to remember who you are as these redeemed image bearers. Like don't, don't practice or exercise your sexuality the way the Gentiles do. Mm-hmm. Like, don't do that anymore. Yeah. And, like, and holiness and honor. Yeah. And he roots it in the fact that the Gentiles don't carry themselves in holiness and honor in their sexuality because they don't know the God who is holy, the exactly. God who is honorable. Yeah. And so it's but so if you easy do know to that con- God. Yeah. It's so easy to conform to the pattern of the world yeah. when it comes to sexuality. Don't do that. <laughs> like, remember who you are and remember what I've called you to. And I think, again, that in, in our posture toward the world. This absolutely there, like you pointed out in verse five, means that we do not carry ourselves with an air of superiority toward the Gentiles, toward unbelievers. We recognize also that the sexual sin of the world is not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is the way that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, their alienation from God. There, there is no other way to handle this other than just following their impulses because they do not know this God who calls them to something different. But if you do, if we do... Not only must we walk differently to please God, but we are now enabled, empowered by the spirit that God's given to us to learn this, not automatically know how to do it. This isn't Neo in the Matrix just suddenly waking up and he knows Kung Fu. This is that each of you learn this control as we walk by the spirit. I think this is so important when we're thinking again through idealism is that you're, you're laying out a reality. Not only can we avoid the wrong, but we can, because we have the Holy Spirit, truly walk in holiness, right? Yeah. We can actually carry this out. I don't know if sometimes like we we stop for a moment and go, oh my gosh, like we have the power, even as something as powerful as sexuality, right? I mean, that's yeah. like, I don't know if there's many more things that have much more of a powerful control over how we think, how we mm-hmm. move, how we operate. But yet in this, Paul, is his whole point is we can actually do this, which another thing that hit me, which is, uh, it, and it came out of a book that I read by a lady named uh, Julie Flattery, where she she talks about this idea that we have to start discipling in this area of our lives. And I wrote the quote down that she put in. It's from a book called Rethinking Sexuality. And she said she was she was thinking through this issue, and she said one day it dawned on me, 
We have been successfully success. We have been sexually discipled by the world. There mm-hmm. we go. We've been sexually discipled by the world, and we've forgotten to disciple one another. Mm, wow. And I I think like that is like really what Paul's doing here, right? He's he's not in the room with the couples when he do, but there's not there's no doubt he's as a single man. Yeah. Saying no 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 like I need all of you as people that are married and heterosexual. I need you to know how to con- to control your body as the me as a single man. There's an important reality of how we display God in this particular reality. Right. It's, it's that that quote you just uh, shared from Julie Flattery. Julie Flattery. Yeah, whatever. Julie Flattery. Um, it almost, Flattery. It, Julie it, Flattery. It, it almost echoes, but that we're being discipled by the world is almost like exactly what Paul is condemning here mm. in chapter uh, four, verse five. Yeah, going. Like, don't do this like the world anymore. Like, like you guys, don't allow the world to disciple you. Quit here. being discipled yeah, by the world. Exactly. And going, yeah. going. remember, like what Christian was sharing, going, hey, you know what? In holiness and honor, there's a way to engage in your sexuality that actually is honorable and it actually is holy. Yeah. And it actually puts God on display well. Yep. And I think that that part of it, at least when you were preaching uh, the whenever it was, last last week and weekend before, it becomes so like powerful to realize we can actually disciple people into this. Now, mm-hmm. again, not overnight. Like yeah. to your point, it's not something that we just, you know, plug in and suddenly they've got all these skill sets. Yeah. It's that, no, you can actually grow into this. Yeah. And there's then not only that we can, Paul expects us to. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, no, no, like in order to put Jesus on display, we have to do this. Yeah. Like we have to figure this out together as God's people, each of you individually, right? He's talking individually, which is in how it carries out, but as the means of collectively displaying God well, mm-hmm. which I think is so powerful for a church to wrestle this one through. I think that sets the table for where we're going next because yeah. we've been discipled by the world in this one, because we've not done a good job teaching the church well what the positive is here. Mm-hmm then we end up with this like overwhelming mountain of like why this is difficult, all the complexities and nuance of this conversation, which is why we're now taking the next number of weeks to actually start to unpack this because we've allowed the world to have a voice here that the church has kind of probably sat on the sidelines. So real, real quickly, Christian, before we move on, like you talked, uh, you know, several times about not only sexual brokenness, but all of us, mm-hmm. right? All of, every single one of us have sexual brokenness. Do you want to kind of take and, can you expand that a little bit and maybe help us understand from a biblical story narrative? Like, what do you mean by all of us are sexually, have, have sexual brokenness in our lives? I think the very fact that what he says here of this idea of not just following the passion of lust, right? Um, or the way that, that Paul says it in Galatians 5, where he says the works of the flesh are evident. And he lists many, many different forms of sexual morality. He says this is kind of part of our flesh, our in-Adamness, right? The way that Jesus talks about it in Mark 7 when he says it's out of our hearts that sexual immorality, adultery, murder, all those things come from. He's saying this, this starts first in our, our hearts, not in our actions, and that is something that the, the biblical story is clear. All of us are in need of heart transformation. And the promise of the new covenant that we see like in Ezekiel 36 is that God would address his people's hearts problem. He, he would give them new hearts, a new spirit, and an inner compulsion to be faithful, to, to keep his commandments and be careful to, to, to obey his laws from the heart. 
And that idea of obedience from the heart is, is why we don't want to stop with just simple lists of rules. We see that, again, in the goodness of God's commands to Israel in regard to their, in regard to their sexual conduct, rules themselves cannot change the heart. I, li- I love the way Paul puts it in, in uh, Colossians when he, when he says that, that those kind of like harsh rules and asceticism and harsh treatment of the body, they, they, they have the appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Mm-hmm. That what we need is not just commands of do's and don'ts. What we need is an internal heart transformation to say, God owns all of me. Every aspect of my life he has designed to reflect and even appreciate his glory and then to make his goodness known to those around me. And if I start there, the way that I navigate issues around my sexual brokenness is not just what actions are right and what actions are wrong. It starts with what is my heart's motivation in this? Because I can do actions that very well are within the bounds of God's intention for human sexuality. But if my intention is to get my own pleasure, if my intention is to manipulate my wife to get what I want in the moment, I, have st- I am still not stewarding my sexuality and holiness and honor. That I think the the... The heart is at the at this the motivation is at the central part of this. All of the ways in which we get sexuality wrong and our actions flow from the corruption in our hearts. That's the way I would. What sum I think it what's up. so cool about that also means, and you used a lot within our doctrinal statement this last weekend mm-hmm. to show we need to develop a, a a robust theology of sexuality, right? Like yeah. I think the church needs to. Like we yeah. we need to have things like um, the the understanding that God has created sex to be good right yeah. it's it's meant to actually display him in his glory it was I, I wrote down a few things i mean it's he's the he's the creator of all including pleasure yeah right like a, a good theology around god as a as a one who sees that 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 god is committed uh, that our pleasures would be, um, I guess, maybe rightly experienced. Yeah. Right. That he, I think sometimes we've always again tended to press down pleasures instead of pleasures in right things. Exactly. Right. We, and so, so much of this is as we, as we develop it out, like especially that idea, the way he uses both honor and holiness, yeah. there's a right way to do this. There's yeah. a way in which we were designed in, in, by God to be able to engage in it. There's, But there's a side of it where I think about it. I don't know how much we've talked about sexuality and spiritual formation. Yeah, That we need to be formed in it if we're going to actually put God on display. If we have to walk through, and I'm trying to be careful how I use words right now because there's so much weirdness in and around sexuality, but the, 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 the hurt, the heartache, mm-hmm. the failure. Yeah. Right, like there's a sensitivity and tenderness, but we need to help each other work out of that into yeah. wholeness and into into rightness. And so it's like there's something really. I, I when you were teaching a couple of Sundays ago, I'm like, there's something so big and so powerful and beautiful inside of this that I don't know if we have we have tapped into it enough as the local church when we talk about ideal, right? Yeah. Again, we have to go back and live in the, the heartache and the hurt that's happened around sexuality. But this is really, this is quite beautiful when you when you think about what he's saying here. Yeah, it is it is a particularly powerful th- gift that God has given to us. And therefore we can use it in ways that are powerful in a tremendously good way or powerful in a in tremendously destructive way. Wow. And that I think that highlights the goodness of our God and even the 
the high view that he has of us as people made in his image to entrust us with something that has such potential. And then the responsibility that we now bear as people indwelt by his spirit to say, okay, I'm I'm not going to just put this on the shelf and not have to deal with it. No, we're going to wade into this with all of the the minds that are in that minefield because there is a good path that God's called us to walk. Okay, one last thing. Okay. And then we'll 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 take a little journey here. You 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 talked a lot. Well, you didn't talk a lot. Let me reframe that. You mentioned the idea of singleness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want you just real quickly in this ideal reality because we're going I want to have some single people in with us to yeah. actually talk this through in our in the coming weeks. Why was it so important to you in this ideal discussion when you were laying it out Sunday and even as we've been talking to make sure that we include singleness into this discussion? I would say this. The reason why singleness is so important is because everyone who is a follower of Jesus, we have staked our entire eternal destiny and our entirety of our lives onto a single celibate man. Like we've said, we're, we're counting on him for everything. And that I think challenges one of the, the fundamental um, distortions in, in our culture right now, which says that my sexuality must be expressed in the way that I want to express it. And we follow a savior who in his humanity was as sexual as any of us in terms of his desires and his bodily motivations and all of that. He shared it just like we did. And even then, steward his sexuality in a way that said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. And I think that right there, the, the elevation of, of sexuality, Jesus is the most fully realized human being that there ever has been. Hmm. And he was a celibate single man means that, wow, there's a lot more to stewarding human sexuality in celibate singleness that puts God on display uh, in a different way than, than a married couple does that I think the world needs to see and I think the church needs to see. That, that's what you just said, I think, is there are ways that that God can be put on display only through singleness. Yes. And there are ways that and aspects of God that can only be seen and put on display in marriage yeah. and going... And in sex, reali- with sexuality in, sexu- in both yeah, cases, Yeah, in right? both sexuality, but going... But the reality is... If this goes back to the conversation we had, I think the last episode, um, we live in such a hyper individualized culture. We think about like putting God on display individually and going, no, no, no. We collectively as married people and as single people, older and younger, we collectively can put God on display and give the world around us an accurate picture of God single people through a sense of devotion, married people through a sense of intimacy and union, but collectively an accurate picture of God. The outcome is the same. Yeah. God is manifested and put on display, right? Like it's- 100%. But we are coming at it from completely different vantage points. But it's the same goal. Same goal. Yeah. And still an absolute devotion to the family of God. This is, again, where Paul, Silas, and Timothy writing as single men- talking about themselves like nursing mothers and like fathers who are so devoted to the child raising of, of these disciples in, in the Thessalonian church. I think that f- to be a family person, to be devoted to the family of God, whether through marriage or through singleness means I got to have the right family at the focus of that. And so let me just, before we move on, the way that we tried to put this in our doctrinal statement in regard to singleness, here's the statement that we have where we say, through the power of the Holy Spirit, a celibate single life is not only possible 
but is to be equally honored alongside marriage as pleasing to God and essential to the life and witness of his church. I believe that with my whole heart, but in my practice, in the way that we see that in the life of this church, I think we have a a lot of room to grow in in elevating singleness, the place of stewarding sexuality and holiness for the glory of God and the witness of Jesus to the world. And so that's where if you're a single person that's a part of Cornerstone, I want to learn from you the way that God has called you uniquely in a different way than me as a married man to steward your sexuality because I think I need to learn from it. Our world needs to learn from it. And you put Jesus on display in an amazing way. As you and our that. church is deficient without that integral that integral display of God, right? Amen. First Corinthians 7. There's, there's a, and to your point, Spencer, there's an, an insufficient display of God if we don't have single men and women that are displaying God in mm-hmm. that way. And so, all right, good. So thank you. That's great. Now, what I want to do now is I want to just at least in a, Maybe a couple facets here. We won't get into everything because we're gonna we're gonna spend a few more weeks doing this. But let's take a couple couple facets of ways that maybe we can start taking this journey and start kind of moving along as we as we talk about other things. All right. So I I love how we finished that from the standpoint that it at the end of it in all of our lives, whether it is in the area of finance or family or marriage, right? We are seeking to display God in the area of our sexuality that we steward, whether we are single, whether we're married, whether we have same-sex attraction, whether, I mean, again, whatever we may be at, at the end of the day, God is calling all of us to be ones who display him well in our circumstances, backgrounds, baggage, right? You know, Put all of that together, however you put it, that's our goal. So maybe, Spencer, if you could, you're, you're the one that always talks about, man, our, our, our chief intent, our the, the, the purpose for which we've been created, which is to display God. Maybe could you just, in this kind of landing it practically, set a context for us there sure. that I think would be helpful for us to have a discussion so we, we can be practical rightly. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it... The idea of of wanting to make God known is really anchored um, in the creation account. It's really understanding what God's intention for humanity was, um, which is if, and and it's essential that we understand this, if humanity is created in God's image, which Genesis 1, 25 through 26, 24 through 27, I mean, just, Mm -hmm. it's so just obvious there that God intended his creation to actually make him known Mm -hmm. humanity specifically as an image bearer. They are reflecting God that, that that is what people are for. That is what God's intent was. Now sin twists that and perverts that not just in sexuality and everything, but certainly in our sexuality Mm -hmm. and sexual expression that is bent and twisted, but it doesn't change what God's intent for humanity was. He still wants people to put him on display. If we don't understand that, that we are interacting with other image bearers, that people ultimately are image bearers of the creator king of the universe, then then we will fundamentally miss this conversation entirely. Mm-hmm. Um because I would go so far as to say, 
I have never struggled slash failed in any way sexually where I actually maintained a proper proper image bearing realities hmm. of of myself or others, right? Of going going, and I don't know any person I've ever counseled or interacted with or talked to that has failed in any area of life, but specifically in sexuality, that has maintained that image bearing reality. I was 100% <laughs> motivated by putting God on display. And so therefore I yeah. went off the rails. In this yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> I fully realized this other person was an image bearer of God and I totally took advantage of them. And chose to objectify them for my own pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it doesn't happen. <laughs> and so I would say the thing that we have to remember in this conversation and the thing that is is we we actually don't know the story of God well, and we don't actually anchor it all the way back in what God's intention for humanity was. Because then, as we said in the last in the last session, if I realize that my primary purpose in life, that thing that God has set me apart for, mm-hmm. is to put Him on display, well, I can do that as a married person, or I can do it as a single person. I can do this as a as a as a married person who has. A, a lot of really healthy sex or as a, a married person who has sex relatively infrequently, but it's still very, very healthy. And going all of a sudden the circumstance that I find myself in is just a circumstance I find myself in, but I'm not defined by it. Hmm. I'm defined by what God's called me to, which is to put him on display in the world. But if we forget that, then we don't have a real basis to actually have a conversation that's going to be helpful. I don't know if that makes sense to you guys. No, it it does. I mean, one of the things in the doctrinal statement, we kept using this language of stewardship in it, which, which, again, I think it so fits in what you're saying, that, that our sexuality has been entrusted to us. Even in the ways in which we experience the the, the 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 distortion of that sexuality and the type of perhaps like uh, sexual morality that we're tempted by, there's still a stewardship. There's a sense of this is this is what's been given to me, and I will give an account to God for the way that I carried out what He'd given to me in in this aspect of my humanity. That I think that's what we were trying to get at with that stewardship language in the doctrinal statement of saying this this is from God. You you belong to God, and we want to keep his glory and his purpose at the forefront of the way that we navigate these discussions, even in the ways in which we encounter this differently. Yeah. It's so interesting when you think about stewardship, I think, um, I love that by the way, it's only been in the last maybe 10 years. I've started to think about stewardship differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to think about stewardship strictly in regards to, uh, financial generosity and yeah. how do I steward the abundance of finances that yeah. I might have? I've never had much, but anyways, nonetheless, <laughs> but how do I steward those? But then realizing, oh, no, 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 stewardship is is faithfully caring for that which God has entrusted me. Yes. If he's entrusted you with an abundance of finance, be a good steward. Yeah. But if he has entrusted you with not much, and if he's entrusted you with need, mm-hmm. be a good steward of, of the difficulties of life as well. Yeah. Now, now, when you think about it in regards to sexuality, if God has entrusted you with um, singleness, mm-hmm. Be a good steward. Because if, if, if God has yeah. entrusted you with a healthy spouse who you guys have tons of great sex, great. Be a good steward of that. Mm-hmm. If if God has entrusted, I mean, I was thinking about somebody who, um, if a guy got into a, 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 an accident and became a quadriplegic and his wife was entrusted now with a spouse of who who is no longer 
you know, like yeah. just physically his body is broken. Yeah. And you go, if, if she allows herself to be defined by her sexuality or sexual expression, man, or if she remembers that she's an image bearer and she's been entrusted with this spouse, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you go, oh, if I, I could reframe this in and around stewardship and image bearing task, not sexual fulfillment or gratification. Yes. And so I just, I think that's a, a an essential place to start the conversation. Well, I think what you're doing there and what scripture is doing there and what you guys keep kind of hitting around is that w- the world and how it has been shaped, right? That very much is about my autonomy, um, my body, my pleasure, my, you know, yeah. it's, it's a my, my, my statement. And everything that you're talking about is, well, in sex, though, like First Corinthians seven, my body's no longer my mm-hmm. own. When right. I came to Christ, I'm no, I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live right now. But right. there's so much language scripturally where it's like to steward is to acknowledge this sexuality has been entrusted to me again, whether I'm single or married or whatever. And mm-hmm. I, it gets back to what we've talked a lot about on um, what does it look like to actually be these people that that are that die right yeah. to to me as the means of putting Jesus on display, but I would even say this in marriage, helping our others, our spouse yes. to put God on display. Right. Or if I'm not in a marriage relationship, I'm not wronging the other, defrauding the other by inviting them into something where they will not put God yeah. on display, right? But that right. causes such a, a a willingness to to say with, you know, back to Romans 12, 1 and 2, man, I'm a, I'm a living sacrifice. It's... Mm-hmm. But then, like, the other part that I think where I've struggled, and I think most people struggle, is that is good. Mm-hmm. Like, trusting that God's understanding of stewarding our sexuality, which I think we always look at it sometimes as like, oh, okay, I'll find I'll do this, like, necessary other thing, because but it's not the good thing. No, his, his way in which he's called us to steward sexuality is the good thing. Yeah. It yeah. truly is. Yeah. There's an interesting... Um, there's a contrast that gets established for me of going, if God's intended us to be image bearers and we're supposed to put him on display, now we can we can drop that down and going, we've talked about like in vague terms, like in singleness or in sec, you know, in, in the context of marriage, we all put God on display. But then we go, okay, but specifically the conversation we're having is in and around sexuality and sexual expression and going, okay, so so how can I actually fulfill that image bearing task where I'm putting God on display in and through sexual engagement mm-hmm. well, well we have to talk about that there's a there's an interesting contrast that's established in in genesis 11 where right after the flood where god kind of resets humanity the tower of babel happens and it gets to the motivations of humanity which is humanity was actually engaged in trying to build this big tower to make a name for themselves and in the way my mind works i think that's the tension that really has existed ever since Genesis 11 of going, mm-hmm. we're either going to be trying to make God known and put him on display, or we're trying to make a name for ourselves. Now, if we take that framework and we drop it into the context of uh, sex and sexuality and sexual expression, I would say, okay, there's clearly a way we can engage sexually in a way that actually makes God known and puts God on display, not to the masses, yep. not on public display, but going, but what what aspect of God are we putting on display in and through 
our sexual engagement? Well, I would say one aspect is um, intimacy, mm-hmm. um, union, mm-hmm. um, generosity, and the giving to one generosity. To, to yeah, the because other. if all of a sudden, if I'm not trying to make a name for myself, but I'm mm-hmm. actually considering others mm-hmm. or the other, my spouse, then all of a sudden, yeah, generosity. Mm-hmm. But you go all of a sudden, if I if I'm actually engaging sexually in all these ways, where I'm actually mindful of trying to help my spouse mm-hmm. have an accurate picture of who God is. And I'm actually engaging sexually in, in a way that is actually mindful of going, will this help them or her, or if there's ladies listening, him, mm-hmm. actually understand better who God is? Mm-hmm. Oh, what a transformational way to approach sex. Yeah. And is my motivation in that I'm actually seeking to honor my spouse through this sexual intimacy as an image. I am honoring the image of God in them in the way that I, that I care myself. In contrast to the Genesis 11 reality of making a name for myself, where this is what I want. Mm -hmm. This is when I want it. This is what makes me, you know, happy, gratified, whatever in going, what a contrast Mm -hmm. and, and how perverse we can make something like, Sex and marriage or sex, you just go, if if done it, where you're trying to make a name for yourself, I, I would even maybe just, for me, it's, and I could, you guys could correct me on this one. I would say that the pornea that like is being addressed in, in First Thessalonians is any sexual activity where you're trying to make a name for yourself. Mm, yeah. Where you're exiting out of this out of, of that image bearing task because we put God on display well in our sexuality when we actually engage in sex the way he said to. Mm-hmm. Like you've said, you know, yeah, man, woman in the context of marriage. I think like to your to your point, the way that our identity gets wrapped up in our sexuality, I think mean, that's another through line in the brokenness of human sexuality. I mean like you read in the Old Testament and even you see something as sexually perverse as polygamy and men like having a whole bunch of wives for themselves and concubines and so forth. It wasn't just because they wanted to have a lot of sex. That was part of it. But they were seeking to make a name for themselves by having as many babies as they could because the bigger your family was, the bigger your name was. It was it was a it was grasping after a self-made identity. It truly was. Polygamy was attempt to make your own little Tower of Babel, not in a physical building, but in a bunch of descendants. Now, that same heart desire to make an identity for myself through my sexuality is the same thing that drives our culture nowadays in the sense that says, no, if you deny your sexual impulses, you are actually, you're not being true to who you are. Your identity is found in the gratification of your sexual desires in whatever way they present themselves. And it's still the same fundamental thought of, I need to grasp after, construct my own identity that humans have been striving for from the moment that, that that fundamental identity as image bearers of God got twisted and lost. Okay, I want to land this thing practically because we're still talking too high for me. I would say everything that you guys are talking about has led me to realize, back to that thing that, that Julie Slatter was kind of talking about, we are way too discipled by the world. Mm-hmm. Right, so much of what you guys are talking about has everything to do with we have embraced so much wrong mm-hmm. thinking and it, it's really, I mean, I, I, I'm hearing you guys talk in such a highly sexualized culture like mm-hmm. ours, we absorb in so much information that is, that is off mm-hmm. base, right? It is, it's not leading to our holiness, to our honor. Uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to even, you know, I think most people are like, oh, be careful, he's going legalistic. But 
we absorb a lot of world thought on mm-hmm. what sexuality is, and then we wonder why we struggle so much to actually implement sexuality that truly does not only is not only holy, but then honors God and honors the one to which we're engaging with. So maybe walk me through it for you guys. Maybe some of your struggles as far as like, how do you see us, even in our friendships, looking at your own life, that we absorb in the wrong info that's continually feeding us in a wrong direction. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like we, like this probably might be one of our biggest issues. We've been way too discipled by the world. And so how do we combat that? Like, what what are we supposed to do differently, practically, I guess now speaking? What, what, what are we supposed to do? So, yeah, I'll kick it out to you guys. How do we rightly disciple ourselves in the, in the right direction? Because I don't want to just take, let's not just, you know, kick bad movies out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's one of the things that's been pretty radical for me. And, you know, we, we kind of kick it around here and there is just of going, okay, so if if I understand that I'm an image bearer, we're all image bearers. My wife is an image bearer. Um, one of the things I think we've done a really poor job in the church, Cornerstone included, myself is one who's taught for the last 30 years in different capacities. Um, if, if, we, if we teach that, you know, sex and sexuality, especially, especially when it comes to guys, that it, it's a it's an appetite and a desire that you almost it's almost insatiable. Have like to, you have you, to you have it. to have it, you know, and and it's like and if you don't, then you're gonna go get it somewhere. Yeah. Well, if that's what gets propagated, you create. I've created a really unhealthy perspective of sex because I don't understand the image bearing task. I've yeah. I've reduced sex to an appetite. Yeah, well, but think about it. Like you just brought up a great point. Mm-hmm. A vast majority of literature in and around sexuality in the church. In the church. And I'm not even talking the movies we watch. Right. In the church says we have basically these men and they can't control themselves. And if you don't in some way, you know, give to your man something that he's he's going to go to your point find it somewhere else right that is such a lie from the pit of hell you're, you're shocked by what i said right but if you but if you go the other way so so that's on one side from a i i i want to have like more female voices at the table uh, here I because it's wait. like you know this is so necessary but from a guy's perspective from a guy's perspective if that's what's being taught in the church that guys are just basically you know, a walking libido, Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, who have an insatiable desire. And that's the expectation that we have for the guys that we actually are discipling. I used to run a high school ministry. If that's what I'm teaching guys that, hey, guys are just walking libidos. They can't, they can't help their sexual impulse. Well, now all of a sudden, that's almost an excuse for a guy to dehumanize people and objectify people because yeah. all we've said is, well... It's just how you are. You just can't help it. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. View people as as image bearers of God. Yeah. Like And it goes back to what Christian laid out for us in this in 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 talking about the the beauty of this. We can. We can actually live right. in honor. We don't have to treat each other as mere animals. We're image bearers. Right. We come across, we're way different. Right. But if you, now, if you just run that through now of going, if this is what we're teaching though, now you fast forward and drop it into the context of, of a, of a marital context, but, but all of a sudden you're just this walking libido. 
well, if you're not careful, you start to objectify your spouse. Mm-hmm. You start to objectify your wife because mm-hmm. I just need to have sex. And other women. And she, yeah. Or other, yeah. other women, too. And, and She so becomes you, the pressure release device. Yeah, like, exactly. Okay, good. This is the way I manage my... End. Yeah, she's no longer yeah. a human Yeah. in, in the fullness of, of humanity yep. the way God is. She's no longer an image bearer of God, but, but other. Mm-hmm. And, and that's tragic. It really is. You know, and so you go, okay, so for me in this regard, the conversation about image bearing and going, oh, no, 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 no maintain the priority of image bearing. It absolutely matters because one, it helps me have an accurate understanding of who guys are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? You may have desires. Okay. How are you going to act on them? Are you going to act on those desires in a way that actually makes God known? Or are you trying to act on those desires in a way that serves yourself and makes a name for yourself? That's a problem. Mm-hmm. If if you remember that your spouse is an image bearer of God, you will treat her or treat him as a image bearer of God, and you're not going to objectify them and treat them as something less. And so I think when you actually drop this down into practice, understanding understanding Genesis 1, 24 through 26, it's crucial. Yeah. All right. Well, we got we to gotta close it up here. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a lot of conversation points. I can't wait. Like somebody said, I can't wait to get some ladies in on this discussion point, some single people. But uh, my heart, again, just is one of the shepherds here at Cornerstone, is that we truly would wrestle through everything. Like, I don't think we, I, I, was, I can't remember who it was that I read this quote, so somebody will have to tell me this, but he, he just said, we should not be ashamed to discuss what God's not ashamed to create. Amen. And man, if God created this, Let's discuss it. So we're looking forward to it. So uh, thanks for joining us beyond Sunday. Uh, our heart, as always, is that you take the amazing truths of God's Word and out of relationships inside of a local church, specifically Cornerstone, except for the people aforementioned that are on the periphery, <laughs> is that you truly would land it and that I think especially off our discussion today that you would display our God well. So God bless you. We'll see you.